Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast. Where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. How you doing today, Angela? Uh, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Joe? Doing well. Uh, the big Disney news of the week is that Ed Catmull is uh, retiring from Pixar. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Year. So, yeah. He's going to fill in his shoes. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, he's been at it for, for 40 years now, basically. But he is the president of Pixar and actually Disney Animation ever since Disney purchased Pixar. So, yeah, it's pretty big shoes to fill. I think big he, changes coming underway. Yeah, I think he announced he'll be retiring around like June or at some point next year, and then he'll be staying through the end of the year as a consultant. But I, I thought kind of with that announcement, it would be you know interesting to kind of to take a look back at a little bit of the history of Pixar and some of the things because Pixar goes back far longer than Toy Story, than the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Ed's, Ed's been with them since the beginning. And really, the purchase of Pixar completely changed Disney, mm-hmm. you know, yes. kind, of, kind of in the early 2000s. But Helped them adapt. Yeah, so I, I thought it was interesting. And, and if you ever, you know, want to read a good book, um, Ed has written a book called Creativity, Inc., which kind of goes mm-hmm. behind the scenes of the process that he and, and John Lasseter, to an extent, used to build Pixar into one of you know the most creative studios out there that just keep putting out hit after hit ever mm-hmm. since it started and, and it's really a, a great thing for for anybody who's interested in kind of the backstory or somebody who's interested in being you know a, just a, a creative, more creative person yeah, yeah you have to kind of to read that story but but so it's interesting so really Pixar kind of its roots go back to 1974 back with the wow. uh, New York Institute of Technology. So huh. they created a computer graphics lab there. Alex Shore started that. And Ed Catmull was actually one of the first two employees hired. Oh, my goodness. So, so he really goes the whole way back. Yes, yes. And so they, they set this up because they wanted... OG. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they wanted to create you know computer graphics. And this is the 70s, so this is all cutting-edge stuff. But then what happened is... Since they were affiliated with an institution, you know they didn't have a lot of funding. Uh, I think they spent something like fifteen million dollars, but they really they really weren't <laughs> I'm able. I'm sure that the institution loved that. Yeah, it kind of put them a little bit on the rocks. You know, kind of the same way with Disney when when we talked about Disney in the twenties. You know, just went through periods of financial trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, this and was Roy the, had to try to rein them in. <laughs> yeah, this was the same thing. It's you know the school can only fund it so much, and they they start running out of money. So what was interesting is kind of the the core group decided, hey, we need to team up with some sort of studio or film company if we're ever going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so they actually went to Lucasfilm, which <laughs> which is crazy that yeah. Pixar. So kind of really the company Pixar actually started in Lucasfilm. Yeah, and that's crazy. W- and what happened was is is Ed Catmull went over to Lucasfilm, and in 1979, and everyone else kind of there was I think four or five other people they slowly resigned and went to other jobs first so Mm -hmm. that um Alex Shore wouldn't get suspicious of (laughs) that they were all leaving and moving the company to to, someone else yeah to Lucasfilm because they didn't want him to know that they were all moving so they they did over the course of the process is this I I think it was over like the course of a year or something but so they didn't quit and go directly you know, to Lucasfilm, they kind of went someplace else for That's a few shady. months. That's yeah. shady. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's kind of interesting how they did it. But what Pixar first started is is really they started as a hardware company. They started selling computers for computer animation. 
Mm-hmm. So obviously Lucasfilm with Star Wars and Indiana Jones, they were kind of cutting edge on animation. They had industrial light and magic. So the, the computer group there did a lot of work with them as well, but really their primary way of making money was selling these computers to help people with computer graphics. Okay. So they always had the they always had the dream of wanting to create a feature length animation, mm-hmm. but it was too expensive. You know, this is the eighties, seventies, eighties. It's too expensive. Processing wasn't there. Right, so, and it's like pretty much an innovation because it, nobody had done it yet, really. Right. So they didn't have a template to try to. They were taking it on all the risk. Exactly. Exactly. So, but then. It, in the early 80s, 80, around 83 or so, uh, George Lucas went through a divorce, so he had to start selling some parts of his company, and Pixar was on the chopping block at that point. And that's actually where their name came from. It was the Pixar uh, image computer is what they sold. Oh. So that's kind of where it came from. So he was looking to sell them. Steve Jobs was interested, mm. but he didn't offer enough money for, for George. But... It turned out he ultimately bought them because I was no, going to say, no, didn't he eventually get them? Because nobody else wanted them. <laughs> so Ed Catmull, George Lucas, they went around to forty-five different companies, investment firms, private equity, and everybody told them no. Oh so they got gosh. down, turned down forty-five times. So eventually, George Lucas said, "Fine." Steve Jobs bought them for five million dollars. Oh my gosh! This is one of those like you wish you had a time machine so you could go back in time and be like, actually, I'll buy Pixar. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he paid George Lucas $5 million. He put another $5 million in the company, so it's $10 million total. And over time, he eventually put in more and more money. I think he ultimately got in somewhere around 40 or $50 million to the point where he owned the entire company, essentially. Wow. He kind of bought, bought points. But this is – he was interested because he just got a, out, ousted from Apple – he was start. He started his new company, Next Computer. So he was looking for something else to do to kind of prove he was still that what visionary. What do you want to do next? Right. Well, no, that's why he called it Next because that oh, was his okay. next, the next chapter. So, so he, you know, he bought Pixar. He eventually became CF CEO, and and slowly, and you know, he tried selling them as well, like because he got tired of putting money into them. Yeah. And he almost sold them. But they finally were able to make Toy Story. Oh my gosh, which was a which was a huge hit. Huge and, hit. And after it previewed, and he heard the early feedback that it was great, and he got confirmation that Disney was going to distribute it. You know, then he kind of changed his tune and said, "I'm going to keep them." And I think in you know in Steve Jobs fashion, you know he he made it sound like it was never his idea to sell them. That he always knew they were going to be successful because he never wanted to kind of admit that he was wrong. Um. And so then it turned out to be, you know, this huge runaway success. Like I said, number one movie after number one movie until ultimately Disney buys them in 2006 for $7.4 billion. So again, yeah, that was a great... That's quite the increase. Yeah, a great investment. Was it originally 5 mil? That's what he put in originally. And I think, like I said, he upwards of maybe 40 or 50 million before it was all said and done. Chump change. Yeah, (laughs) nothing compared to that. But then at that point... Ed Catmull becomes president of both Pixar and Disney Animation Studios. And he kind of talks about this in the book because there's the whole Pixar process of the Pixar Brain Trust where they have former directors and who've directed other Pixar movies. Um, they have employees. They sit down and they kind of watch clips of the movie in the process and they give very honest, constructive feedback. So if mm-hmm. something doesn't work, 
they kind of sit and talk through it and say, hey, we need to scrap this. And that's one of the great things in Creativity Inc. that he talks about is you can't be afraid to just throw your work away. I mean, he talks mm-hmm. about... Kill your darlings. He doesn't name a movie. He doesn't name the movie, but he's talked about that there's been a movie or two where they were a year or two into development and they just couldn't get to work and they just said and they just scrapped it. Wow. And so, I mean, it's crazy to think that, you know, I think other movies That's a do, lot of time, a lot of time in. and money, too. Mm-hmm. And a lot, I think a lot of other studios would have just kind of pushed out a subpar product, but they never did. So it was interesting. So they kept the animation studios separate. But if you look at how, Disney animation kind of like right before and then after the Pixar acquisition, I mean, I think you, you can really point to a, a major shift in the quality of the movies and the type of the movies. Yeah. And I think that just goes to show you how Ed Catmull and, and John Lasseter being in charge of both studios um, really changed well, how, cause, and it just shows, you know, how great they were at, at running things. Well, the, you can't like any movie that comes out that's Disney now. You cannot tell the difference whether it's a Disney movie or a Disney Pixar movie. It they look identical now because they've integrated Pixar's you know computer systems into their own. So yeah, yeah. and the whole story process, and everything. So a few of the movies that came out before 2006 or right around 2006. So you have Brother Bear, which oh. I, I know you love that movie, but oh. nobody really knows that movie. Home on the uh. Range, I. Don't I don't even remember that one. That. Chicken Little, which I didn't even realize what Disney did. Uh, Meet the Robinsons, which I kind of vaguely remember. Uh, wasn't that like our one of our first dates? I feel like it was. If it was, that's how memorable it was. I don't even remember that. Yeah, so. I'm pretty sure I have a ticket from that from somewhere. All right, well maybe so, but again, not not very memorable. So, but if so, those movies that was kind of Disney animation pre 2006. Again, nothing really that memorable. If you look at Shortly after that, so because you have to kind of give some time for them to take over because a lot of movies, it takes them two or three years to produce. So looking a couple years out, you have Tangled, oh, which yeah. is a great movie. Wreck-It Ralph, uh-huh. um, which is great. Frozen, which is one of the biggest movies, animated movies. Zootopia. Oh, yeah. Moana. I mean, if, if you look at the shift just within a few years, um, like I said, you know, some stuff was probably already in development. But I, I think a lot of that you have to point at how great that process was. And I think you have to owe a lot of that, uh, you know, to Ed Catmull. Yeah, exactly. So, but so I think the other thing that came out of this with Pixar. So, again, it uh, to your point, I don't know who's going to fill his shoes and kind of take over. It'll be interesting to see if the quality of the movies change. If I think they've built a good enough process that they can probably keep it going. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I'm sure he definitely you know will be missed. Um, kind of running the helm but the interesting thing about pixar is this whole idea of the pixar theory so have you heard about this uh i have i've known about it for a while now but it is super confusing or at least i thought it was yeah so i i was kind of you know as looking into stuff about pixar kind of came across this and i think it like it blew my mind Mm -hmm. and so i think kind of in, in honor of of Ed announcing his retirement and everything, I kind of wanted to, to take some time and dive into this theory. That and, and for those of you that don't know, it's the idea that every Pixar movie is actually in the same universe, so it's kind of a Pixar cinematic universe, right? Kind of like the Marvel MCU. Oh, for sure. That that everything's connected, everything's in the same universe. Even though you have some movies about talking cars, some movies about monsters, some movies about dinosaurs, that it they're it's all the same. 
Right. And it's sort of based off of the fact that these movies always have some sort of uh, connections to each other and little Easter eggs from the other different movies in it. And then those Easter eggs are actually used to tie them together in the PCU. Right. You think that Easter eggs, oh, well, it's just Pixar. Their animators are putting in clues from other movies. You just want to dismiss it as nothing. But no. No. That's what they want you to think. <laughs> it's all a very complicated way of relating all the movies together because they're taking place within the same right. universe. You have to take the wool from your eyes and you will see <laughs> that the Easter eggs are not accidental. It's on purpose. They are clues. Accidentally on purpose. This goes deeper than you could ever imagine or maybe all the way to the top. I don't know if it's deeper or all the way to the top. I'm not sure, but they're all connected. So I want to dive into this because some of it is a, you know, a little crazy when you first hear it. But then if you start thinking about it, yeah. it all starts and, to click and it's it's insane. And I definitely would recommend obviously listen to this podcast and, you know, this can probably help you to get some interest, but check out the video from the Super Carlin brothers on YouTube. They do a really great job of doing a full 26-minute long explanation complete with pictures and clips and things like that of the way that the movies are tied together. Um, they do a, an excellent job, I think, of that. Yeah, if you just kind of Google it, there's a there's a ton on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and a whole YouTube, website. I think, is the best way to really look at it. And it was um, John Negroni. Negroni who kind of first... I don't think he first discovered this because I think he even mentions that he saw he got the idea from a video he saw, but he kind of wrote he wrote a huge essay about this Mm -hmm. and a book. So yeah, he's one of the main people, and it's it's available as an ebook. So if you are interested, check out his website, and you can hopefully get your hands on it. Right, but it makes a lot of sense, and and kind of the heart of it, and. If nothing else, it is a great piece of like critical literature of somebody taking together all of these, you know, different elements and creating an argument for how they tie everything together. So if you're a person who appreciates somebody taking a lot of thought and creating an argument, it's a good one. Right. And and what I was going to say is, you know, we're not going to touch on every movie, how every movie movie fits in. We're going to do high level, but really... What it all kind of comes down to, I mean, there's magic involved, time travel, robots, humans, humans being monsters. the energy source of the world. So, but that's what and it is. And one it, unifying character. Right, right. So it's. And a theme. Yeah, it's. It, it encompasses so much. It all, it all fits. It all fits. But essentially, you know, and, and it updates with kind of each movie. They, they try, as the new movies come out, they try to fit them in. And, you know, strangely enough, the new movies do kind of fit in pretty well, mm-hmm. which I think you know lets and even more credence that it is a connection. So my universe. question here is, do you think that now they're they're cognizant of like maybe they they developed this and they they knew there is the Pixar theory is mostly true, but maybe they are aware of the Pixar theory and they're like, hmm, what can we do just to kind of shoehorn this into the Pixar theory? Like maybe they've adopted it now because they're like, oh, this is pretty cool. I'll answer that at the end. What my thoughts are okay. on it at the end. So a little bit of a, a tease there. So, but essentially, so how it starts and with the good dinosaur, this kind of changed the theory a little bit, but you know, kind of looking at it as a chronological timeline, the good dinosaur is kind of the first movie right. and then brave is kind of the second one in the timeline. And with, the whole idea of those two is kind of the idea of magic coming into the world. Right. It, it sets up the everything in the universe. So in The Good Dinosaur, it it shows in the very beginning 
that the asteroid that hits the Earth that basically causes the dinosaurs to go extinct, it misses. And that's creating sets up, an alternate timeline. Right. And it creates an alternate timeline from our own. The in PCU, which, the right, Pixar Cinematic exactly. Universe. Well, I love would, that. Yeah, I did, yeah, isn't it good? Oh, yeah. I, I did not create that. No TM here. Okay. All right. <laughs> that was, I think, Super Carlin Brothers also. So, yeah. Um, so, in The Good Dinosaur, they, they established that the meteor mist and creates that alternate universe. So, right. go back on. And, and so, with the dinosaurs living longer, you know, they kind of then evolve more and humans come in they do agriculture right, and all kinds of they stuff. ultimately die off because humans take over but with the dinosaurs living longer they're essentially creating magic they've somehow evolved to have magical properties which releases magic into the world and then you have the witch in brave and she uses the power of the will of the wisps to turn uh merida's mother into a bear mm-hmm. and so and so there's magic so and that also introduces the idea that um, animals can be highly intelligent and speak right. and things like that. Animals can talk and everything. So that's kind of the 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 genesis of it all. Right. That, Brave is like one of the most important movies right. to the entire right. timeline because that releases magic into the world, and then you know animals, plants, inanimate objects can kind of start absorbing that in other ways. Then you kind of jump ahead to The Incredibles, which takes place in the the fifties or sixties, and you have Buddy. He creates artificial. Syndrome syndrome right mm-hmm. he creates artificial intelligence so that starts to give uh robots the ability to think and by the end of that movie the robot is no longer following its programming it's following its own thoughts it realizes hey maybe you know buddy's controlling me i should turn on him and he also creates the uh zero point energy which then allows it, the toys in toy story that they start absorbing that so that that's kind of where that comes from the the you know, part of the theory goes, and again, if, if you read different kind of people's interpretations, some people have different, you know, ideas on it. But, you know, some people say that the Incredibles have superpowers because of magic. So because of the magic that's in the world, they're mm-hmm. absorbing that. And then, you know, this, the energy source is kind of what powers, is what the toys absorb. Um, but again, it all comes down to humans, though, kind of being the ultimate power source. Right, exactly. So, um, in after the the Incredibles, then there's a series of movies that take place after that. So you have things like Finding Nemo in there, Ratatouille, uh, Wally, right. right? And if you look at Toy Story, well, Wally Wally takes place a lot further. Well, in yeah, the yeah, future, yeah. I, yeah. I mentioned that out of order, but, but yeah. But a good Toy point, Story. Yeah, a good point with Finding Dory and Ratatouille is it's kind of the progression of of animals. So right. you have fish, and then you know they're. They're starting. And they're really intelligent. Yeah, they're really intelligent. And then you have Ratatouille, where, where Remy is the chef, and he helps yeah, a human to actually become a more successful chef. That's the first chef. interaction with humans that they can. You know, that's the first time that they've actually gone to humans and and kind of shown that they can talk and interact with them, as opposed to just you know the fish are in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, up you have that 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 Carl realizes animals can communicate and are more intelligent. Mm-hmm. Then they and you have the the callers that show that they have their own thoughts, feelings, and I believe they even draw. There's a flying plane, uh, a dog flying a plane. I believe in that movie. Uh, it's in one of the Pixar movies, right? And and, and the whole idea is too, uh, to John Negroni's point that every time humans are interacting with the animals and realize they can talk or toys, that the the animals are not 
they're they're bitter towards humans to yeah. an extent. You know, like they're progressing at a rate that humans can't quite measure up to. Right. The fish, they're we're we're polluting the ocean. You know, the it, it, like the, there's there's a conflict. So there's kind of a conflict brewing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it goes down to yeah, again, like you were saying, um, humans messing up the environment. And so it eventually progresses to the point where we get to Wally. Well, before that though, so there's an unseen human animal war. So this is this is one of the this is one of the the major points. It's off screen. So this conflict off screen so we're positive this is happening. This conflict between well this ha- this is how you take the jump though because if you look at it chronologically, you know, Wally takes place hundreds of years in the future mm-hmm. from today's time. So it's it's quite a jump to go from, you know, Toy Story inside out all the way to Wally because it there's no humans on Earth. I mean that just doesn't happen overnight. So something happens in between that. Cars takes place in between that time. But what happens is is there's a human animal war because the animals <laughs> I did not see this. <laughs> the animals are tired of the humans kind of being in control. You know, the fish, they're polluting the sea, all of this stuff. So there's this there's this major conflict. Now, who do you think wins? Do you see any animals in Wally? Do you see any animals in cars? No. Um, for, except for one, the crab, <laughs> which right. is mentioned right. in one of the videos. But no, you don't. because the But hu- the crabs thrive in Finding Nemo in like the polluted, crappy environment. So that explains why no. the crabs... Well, no, it's because the humans win the war. So the machines help us win the human-animal war. Okay. And so that's why there's no more animals and... Uh, and, and so, and the humans win. That's why there's no more animals in later movies. But then eventually, the you know Earth gets destroyed to the point where humans have to leave. And that's why in Cars you have the machines that can talk, but there's no humans and there's no animals because this is post human animal war, and then uh, pre Wally because we've left and kind of gone off in our spaceships, and the cars are are left, mm-hmm. and 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 it. And it points to, again, that humans are the power source because in Cars 2, they're going through this huge energy crisis because there's no Well, that's humans. why that the cars can come to life to begin with. And also because they are adapting their humans' personalities. So they come to life at various times. Um, and that kind of explains how there are new cars in the different car movies. But yeah, they are getting the energy from us. But because we've been gone for a while, that explains the energy, energy crisis that goes on in Cars 2 and 3. So... Right. The humans aren't there to, to get it. And of course, fuel can do so much, but not as much as they need it to do. Exactly. And then I read, you know, an updated part, how the good dinosaur fits in. Also, there's there's energy crisis because there's less fossil fuels because without the asteroid, all the dinosaurs didn't go extinct at once. They died out slowly. So mm-hmm. there's less fossils and less fossil fuel. So that's why there's less oil out there and <laughs> I everything. No, that's how fossil fuels Well, no, work. I mean, it's an interesting thing if... If they, you know, if they didn't die, if it took them millions of years longer to die, that's less time. It takes millions of years for oil to create and things from fossil fuels. So okay. if they didn't all die out at once and humans and dinosaurs live closer together, there's there's less We're fuel. We're going to get so many angry, like, letters from scientists being like, this is not how this particular thing Well, works. this isn't science. This <laughs> is Pixar. So they have their own science. But, but Don't th- at me, bro. But to your point, yeah. So then Wally comes... You know, it's in the distant future. Ultimately, and 
a lot of this is tied together by the company by and large. Yeah, B and L. They're they're in B&L. a lot of it. They're in they're in like Toy Story. They're mentioned in so many different movies, but they are the company that's basically they're the representation of capitalism. They've taken the humans away from Earth. They sit them down. Everyone in that movie is is um, chubby and lazy and just sits and watches screens and things like that. And they are basically and the machines do everything for the humans. So they are creating a sort of apathy in the humans. And, um, so they, they're also on the, the batteries of Buzz Lightyear. Um, so they're this huge company that just, well, yeah, they're in the has, cars moves. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, they're everywhere, everywhere. Right, they're everywhere, right. but they, they've kind of helped create this, um, I don't know. Apathy is not the, the right word, but anti zest for life. Yeah. But I know at this point you're probably asking, but Joe, what about a bug's life? Because there's animals in a bug's life. Where do they fall in? That's a great question is what I would say. <laughs> so a bug's life actually takes place after Wally. So it's even in the, in the more distant future. Right. 2,000, 3,000 years. And- because what happens is the, the tree Wally plants at the end turns into the tree in a bug's life. And if you don't believe him, Wally's friend. Well, you're crazy if you don't believe me. <laughs> but Wally's friend. You want to name it, Joe? Eve. No, his other friend. He's a little cockroach friend. He has a cockroach friend who is a bug. And now bugs are the next movie in the timeline, basically, that they are, you know, very sentient inventors. They do all kinds of crazy stuff because they are also evolved. Right. And they're living longer. They talk about how they've, you know, are living longer than they ever have before because they're regaining um, their power. You know, the tree's growing. We have to assume humans are coming back at this point, you know, because at Wally we see them coming back, mm-hmm. so that they're they're kind of repowering. So maybe that's where the bugs are getting some of their power, and all of that. But it, so so we have animals coming back, and now you might be asking, okay, what about monsters? So we've kind of explained super, we've explained superheroes, cars that can talk, toys that can talk, right? Monsters are are monsters. They seem a, to come out of left field, right? But they don't. Because even further in the future, when humans are gone, so we're at we're at four, five thousand years. So very time, far in the future, our time. So we'll never see it. Unfortunately, we won't see <laughs> the monsters come. But monsters. Well, maybe we could now because of the theory about well, what we'll we're get about to, to talk about. We'll get to that. But I know, I know you saw. We're too old, though. I know you saw that. Um, that the monsters are actually kind of mutated or evolved humans. I know one of the places I saw that said that they were actually animals that have kind of evolved mm-hmm. or mutated into monsters. So it, it's kind of one of the, so the idea is it's one of those two. So there are new species essentially in the future of either an animal or a human. And they've realized again, cause think of Jack, Jack, he is actually, he kind of turns into a monster, right? Yeah. That's, that's a good point. So that it, it could be humans as well. But again, so B&L is involved in the Monsters, Inc. kind of movies. But they realize that, again, humans are power. It kind of goes back to that's one of the common themes here, mm-hmm. that humans are power. They, they think fear is a powerful emotion. Ultimately, they find out laughter is the most powerful emotion. Actually, joy right. is a powerful emotion. Which we learn, that sounds familiar. Which we learn in Inside Out. Uh-huh. And we also learn in Inside Out. It's most of Riley's memories are right. joy. And we learn in Inside Out that children have stronger emotions because we kind of see in the parents, their emotions are more kind of They're steady mixed. and evened out. Mm-hmm. So that's why 
they're not as great an energy source for fear or joy because right. they and don't get over, overworked like that, but kids do. And if you think about the end of the film, even like as Riley has developed, most of her, her early memories are sad or happy. Most of them are joy. But at the end, her little like her little memory balls come out mixed, so there's yellow and blue. Right. So they're not quite. Again, it's it's a diluted sort of memory. It's it's diluted energy. Back to Monsters Inc. Right. right? So back to Monsters Inc. So how if they are mutated animals, humans, whatever? How do they appear to be in our universe as well, harvesting this? Right. From because children? we're gone. Right. The doors are time traveling portals. Bam. What? Bang. What? How have I, like, how have I never thought this? When I read that, I said, I'm all in on this theory just because of the fact that now time travel exists. Now this we have really time sounding travel. like the MCU now. We have time travel. Yes. We have time travel in the Pixar cinematic universe now. The door, so they are traveling back in time. So to when humans right. were on the earth. So we're, we're kind of led to believe that the monsters are in a somewhat parallel universe parallel dimension maybe and the doors help them travel to our world no they're on earth the whole time they're just traveling back in time and the issue with the um the people not being as afraid is because the theory goes that they can't just go to any point in time they're kind of stuck so let's say that maybe the doors go back two thousand years so or three thousand years, whatever kind of makes sense as far as the timeline goes. Yeah. But it, but that that time moves with their time. So as they move a hundred years in the future, they can't they can always they can't always go back to the same point in time. It, it's moving forward with well, them. Well, true. But also, why are the kids so scared? Why why is fear such a big emotion? Because the world is in chaos. Because this is taking place right around the time that the Incredibles are taking care of all of the bad guys. Right. And they're running amok. So fear is high. Right. And and, then, and as time goes on, you know, fear drops down. Ultimately, they, they realize joy. But so it's it's all about time travel, which I think is incredible. Which then brings to the final point: the big unifying factor. Okay, so that ties yeah. everything together. Right. Exactly. So you know, up to this point, it's like, all right, you have monsters, you have humans, you have like sentient, like you know. It, anthropomorphized animals you have robots how are all these things connected okay we have a little bit of a timeline but it just seems kind of loosely put together no no it is not because you have boo boo is the key to everything yes she's the keystone of the entire theory right without her this all falls apart so the idea goes that boo is so influenced by, by sully by sully that she wants to find kitty and she realizes that the doors are when she grows up, she realizes right, the doors Sully are time has to travel. leave her. Like Correct. he, Correct. he can't go back. She's growing up. He can't right. go back. So now she's going to go throughout the rest of her existence trying to find Sully again. Right. And I should mention real quick that part of the theory goes. We mentioned Inside Out that uh, Bing Bong, Riley's imaginary oh, yes. friend, not an imaginary friend is at all, actually a monster from Monsters Inc. who visited her as a child. Exactly. And caused her to laugh. Joy. That's why he's he's kind of powered by joy and laughter and happiness. Exactly. So, and I'll go back to him in so, a little bit. But yeah, so so Boo is kind of grows up to go on a mission. In to, order to find to Sully. To find Sully. And she learns magic and how to travel through time. Through and, the doors. Using th- the doors. Using the doors. And she's the witch in Brave who uses Boom. doors Boom. to disappear. Boom. In Brave. She, Don't believe time, us? 
what? Uh, I was just saying, I, I was jumping ahead of you. Go ahead, go ahead, finish. No, go ahead. I was just going to say. She, I'm going to let you finish. She, thank you. Thank you. She uses, <laughs> you know, she kind of, as, as they go through outdoors, become a big part in Brave as well. And the witch has power. It's in the everything. tree. And then she makes a whole little place appear exactly, out of nowhere. Exactly. Magically, just like the doors in Monsters, Inc. Right. So that she's harnessing magic and she's kind of going back in time to try to find magic and harness the magic to get to Sully. Uh-huh. But don't believe us? This sounds too crazy, right? Well, look in the witch's workshop. Go on, check out these videos that we were talking about, Super Carlin Brothers. They actually have free freeze frames of what in the knot of a tree? Sully. Yeah, car- Sully car- is car- carved in the knot of a tree because she is looking for him. There are things, there are bears and stuff all on the ce- ceiling. What does Sully look like? What do you think, Joe? He, kind of, he looks like a big bear. Looks like a bear. Uh-huh. And I and so in, and then the, the theory, you know, kind oh, of oh. the main one that that John uh, Negroni wrote that I read, his also thought is that Boo is the one placing these Easter eggs throughout all the movies. That's why you see, you know, things from other Pixar movies pop up because she's actually traveling through this timeline trying to find Sully, and everywhere she goes, she kind of leaves little clues and hints that she's been there. Very good, kind of like a yeah, yeah. And then one last thing about her her um the witch's workshop was she carving when she's talking to merida a pizza planet truck now that's kind of crazy because this was happening a long 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 time before cars were ever invented or pizza i mean brave is like 1300 uh maybe true somebody's gonna yeah it's i think it's definitely not pizza planet well definitely not not. (laughs) like yeah pizza maybe in china or something but maybe not definitely not to that point but she is carving a machine that does not exist currently. So how could she know about it? She's a time traveler. She's boo. She's boo. Uh, unreal. Just drop the drop mic. The mic. <laughs> drop the mic. Drop the mic. Yes. High five. Drop the mic. So, uh, so if you don't believe us, I don't know what else there is to convince you. <laughs> I mean, it is a it is a pretty good and convincing story. And just to tie it all together in the end. Um, uh, again, it, this is great. So there seems to be almost a unifying theme throughout all of the movies as well. Yeah, the idea that humans are power kind of, and I know with Coco, I think that's what you're going to touch on, the idea of memories. Yes, exactly. So memory is huge and not forgetting people who are gone is sort of like, it's a unifying theme throughout and, and you can see it in all a ton of them. You have Up where... Um, Oh my goodness, what's the old man's name? Carl? Carl Carl. drags his house with him, a literal representation of his memory of his wife. And she wants him to- (laughs) Squirrel? Squirrel? Yeah, his wife, Squirrel. (laughs) And so, but he has to let that go and live his life the way that he wants to. You have Toy Story where you have the little um, squeaky penguin guy who is afraid that, or he's upset that Andy's sick because Andy doesn't remember him. You have Coco, who the characters will literally, from the City of the Dead, will literally disappear when people don't remember them. Bing bong in, in uh, Inside Out. He disappears when Riley forgets him. Uh, you have Wally. The earth is brown and gross, and this there's a theory here that maybe it's brown and gross because the humans don't remember what it is. As soon as the captain watches remember the video... Remember who you are. <laughs> as soon as the humans watch the video reminding them of things about earth then the earth starts to sprout like new growth right so so, so it's me- yeah so humans is- their memories it's their emotions everything like they're kind of the power in all of this mm-hmm. so you asked me earlier and, and now we've kind of gone through the whole thing do i think that kind of pixar 
is now trying to shoehorn this in. Do they have a master plan of all of this and everything? I mean, honestly, again, this is all very convincing. It's a lot of fun to kind of, you know, go down these like rabbit holes and kind of think think this through. I kind of think that 100% Pixar knows this theory is out there. Oh, definitely. And I do not... I mean, while maybe some of this stuff is loosely connected and they have thought of that, I don't think that whenever they think of these stories up, and again, from reading Creativity Inc. and hearing things, they kind of are all about just great ideas. Yeah. I don't think that they're trying to create a connected universe, but I think at this point now, they, you know, they make sure they add in they can, these they can, Easter eggs yeah, and say, all this stuff. Yeah, they can kind of control kind of what Easter eggs in. they put in and be like, oh, maybe they'll they'll think this. And the great thing about these kind of theories and, and why this stuff is so fun, and it does work, is because, and it's, it goes back to the point about how great Pixar is, is Pixar makes great movies, but they, they all have kind of a similar theme. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it is all about you know, family or, or love or remembrance. Mm-hmm. And and they do it in a way, you know, kind of like Aesop's fables. They're allegories. You know, they're, they're using kind of common life lessons, but they're doing it through, you know, using toys or animals or, or cars or things like that. So, you know, that whole idea of that, which makes it easy to kind of connect them together. And so they're kind of broad enough that you can fill in some of these gaps and make something this crazy. Do I personally think Pixar really has this all mapped out? No, but I think it's a lot of fun and I think they probably enjoy it too. And they probably do try to add in some of this stuff to, to kind of help it all connect together. Right. It's beautiful. It's like, I'm literally teary eyed just thinking about all the, the great movies they put out. Go ahead. Yeah, talk. but it's great, but I'm all in though. And I want this to be true because time travel booze a witch. <laughs> It's all great. I think whenever, you know, maybe Pixar, their their string of hits starts going down, maybe we get that animal-human war. Hey, Loki. <laughs> yeah, Loki wants it too. We get that animal-human... He's a fan of the Pixar theory. Yeah. But we get that movie where they make the animal-human war, and we pr- and it proves that we were right the whole time. Yeah, exactly. I'm so, sure we'll definitely get that. Yeah, that I think film. that's coming. I think that's coming. <laughs> Untitled Pixar film, so... All but, the children would cry so hard, though. No, no, I know. Seeing Dory fight uh, Lightning McQueen oh and stuff like goodness. that. No, oh I don't think that would ever happen. So, no, but I think it's a lot of fun. And again, I think it just goes back to, you know, how great a a company that Ed Catmull built and kind of how he's guided the ship. And they have had so many successful movies that people actually want to spend this much time dissecting them and trying oh, yeah. to connect them. Exactly. You know, there are it, people it, who dedicate their entire careers right. to I'm sure there, at this stuff. if there are not, there will be college classes on the Pixar theory, kind of like in community mm-hmm. when it, they had the class, who's the boss? <laughs> and, they, and they went, you know, it was a whole thing of who's actually the boss. Angela's the boss. Yeah. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but, it is. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, so, it, but there'll be, there'll be classes on this and stuff too. So it, like I said, it, you know, Ed Catmull has had 40 years at this. I'm sure he's probably more than ready to retire and kind of enjoy mm-hmm. enjoy life. But Sit back and watch a Pixar film yeah. and not actually know all of the blood, sweat, and tears right. that went into it. I'm sure he'll still be involved because, like I said, they, they have the brain trust where they kind of have the, the key dedicated people. So I'm sure he's, he'll still be involved somewhat. But I think Pixar movies will continue to be great. I think Disney anim- animation movies will continue to be great. Uh, you mentioned Wreck-It Ralph. You know, that's coming out soon. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, they're they seem to be doing well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's a lot of fun. Again, if you if you like some of this, just do a quick Google search. You will find a ton of stuff on the Pixar theory, and you can maybe connect some dots that other people didn't find. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of fun. It's, yeah, it's like playing a big game. So yeah, I really enjoy, I really enjoyed yeah. yeah looking through this. So. Yeah, I, when I was trying to read it, I struggled. Um, actually, I'd started developing this episode a while ago, and I just got so overwhelmed; it was too much. But watching the videos on YouTube really helped, and getting the visuals with it. So again, highly suggest that. Yeah. Don't just listen to us two jamokes. <laughs> But I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, you know, Make sure you subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating, a review. Everything helps. Uh, until next week, thanks. And, and have, have a, a magical, magical day. day.